Feather the brake and get back to the gas. Dan and Dirk are headed into turn three on the front stretch. Welcome back to the front stretch. Heading into turn number three, and it's time to continue our Kaziski Auto Parts Legends of the Dirt series. And a guy that, well, quite frankly, I can't believe he hasn't been on the list yet. But uh, after about five or six years of doing the Legends of the Dirt series, we finally got him on. He's the driver of the number 24, 360 and 410 Sprint car over at Knoxville Raceway with the All-Stars, World of Outlaws, the NSL, all over the place. He's even gotten a race in Australia, and that is none other than T-Mac himself, Terry McCarl. How you doing, sir? Doing well. How you guys doing? We are definitely enjoying the Midwest and the off-season, kind of relaxing. And uh, I-, I didn't realize this. You know, during April to October, there's this thing called sleep that I don't get a lot of, and I can only imagine you're probably the same way. Yeah, it's uh, but, you know, it's crazy, but we love it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and luckily we have a couple of months to recharge, and that's all we need because we'll be back at it in February and March. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about your career for the first part of this uh, Legends of the Dirt series. It, talk to us about how you got started. I I, I believe you, you, you kicked it all off with racing go-karts in 84, right? Yeah, I really, um, you know, my dad raced sprint cars and then got, you know, broke both his legs twice and broke his back oh. and broke about every bone in his body. He's kind of the evil Knievel of sprint car racing. So he wasn't uh, real hip on me and my two brothers racing racing sprint cars. So, uh, you know, we didn't, I didn't race anything. It's definitely nothing like these kids these days. And he definitely didn't want us racing anything. And I understand that. But, uh, you know, when I was 18, I, I, a friend and I bought a go-kart together and uh, I went and raced that for one year. And then I was lucky enough to get a ride in Daryl Aaron's number one A this, the next year, 1985. And you said your dad wasn't too keen on you jumping into that car. I can, you know, I can kind of understand back in 1984. Nowadays, things are, they're still dangerous, but they're much safer. Yeah, you know, they're going much faster. So, uh, you know, I unfortunately, I broke both my legs, too. I, didn't, I didn't, want to, didn't want to emulate my father that way, but, uh, uh, you know, things happen. But, yeah, they're definitely a lot safer, the, the, I think these seats, the helmets. I mean, if you pick up one of my dad's helmets or one of my early helmets, how much heavier they were. And, and there's, you know, there's a lot of so much safety with those butler-built type seats and now the head and neck restraints and everything. So it's, uh, it's definitely helped a lot of drivers uh, have a lot longer career, you know, when Lloyd Beckman beat uh, Doug Wolfgang in, in 1977 there at uh, Knoxville and broke his 10-win streak, I mean, I remember thinking what an old man he was, and I, I think he's probably just in his 40s or maybe, you know, there wasn't anybody hardly 50 years old uh, racing sprint cars for, for sure. So now you got guys, you know, that uh, are even 60-year-olds still racing sprint cars and doing pretty well. So it's, that, that's definitely for all the safety features. And even knowing how dangerous it was, seeing firsthand, watching your dad and all the medical issues he had, all the breaks, all the massive wrecks, you still want to do it well you know when things are bad you wish you'd have done something different but i want you know just like you guys and all the fans out there listening you know it's really addictive once it gets in your blood it's racing is pretty addictive i always tell people i've never done drugs in my life anyone who knows me knows i don't do drugs and uh, it might have been cheaper for me to do heroin i think i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but uh you know my my sons are addicted to racing and you know it's great it's a great sport really it's a great family sport and we spend you know my sons and my wife and i we spend a ton of time together and it's because of racing really and and uh, we enjoy it. And so, um, you know, racing, I think, can be real beneficial. And, you know, actually, for these young kids coming up to keep them, you know, like I did, too, if they want to race their go-karts or micros or whatever, they got to get good grades and don't get in trouble and hopefully stay off drugs and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, you can use it as a parent. You can kind of use racing and uh, against those kids to keep them on the straight and narrow, hopefully. Well, if, you, if you've got a race car, you don't have money for drugs. Absolutely not. That's a good line. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, you go back to to getting it started. You said 1984 with the buying a go kart. I'm kind of surprised that you said you were 18 at that time. That that seems late to get started racing carts. Yeah, that's like I said in today's world, that seems kind of crazy. But uh, you know, I was actually looking at a it uh, after that year of go karts. I was real close. The IMCA modified thing was just coming out, and and I was looking at possibly buying IMCA modified and. Uh, uh, I got I was lucky enough to get in Daryl Daryl and Glory Aaron's number one A and uh in uh you know it was kind of a tragic thing on one end. Their son died of cancer the year before Chris was a, a friend of mine and uh him and Daryl were kind of a father son team and, and Daryl built the engines. Chris kinda of worked on the car and they had a lot of decent and good drivers and, and a really nice car at Knoxville and, and around this area, Jackson and things and uh out of nowhere he got cancer and died relatively quickly and I think most people thought Daryl was gonna quit racing and he might have might have been quitting, and mm-hmm. uh, so it kind of worked in my favor because nobody really called him in nineteen and eighty five, and and I called him and, and asked him to drive. I still remember it pretty pretty vividly being in my basement. Actually, Lori, my wife, we were just kids and going out together then, but she was there when I called Daryl, and uh, and I was fortunate enough to get in his ride, and it was a great ride, a really well kept. Daryl really keeps a really nice car, and actually, I have that car. Daryl no kept kidding. it after I quit driving it. Yeah, he kept it, and. Uh, uh, I think Danny Toman drove it a few times after me, but I have the whole complete car sitting there, sitting out in my garage right now, no engine. But uh, so I'm gonna finish it up here one of these days. And uh, fortunately, I got and that just kind of started the ball rolling. We, you know, we got uh, ran really well. All I raced was, at, you know, uh, at Knoxville and then at the Jackson Nationals. We, he didn't travel. He didn't have the money to, you know, go race these other tracks. And so I really didn't get many laps. But uh, right away we were pretty fast. And I think I missed the feature the first week or so. And um, after that, I made every single feature the rest of the year, and, and including the qualifying night of the Knoxville Nationals. I didn't make the A main, but my first year I made the B main at Knoxville Nationals, so that was pretty big. And, and growing up in Altoona, I got to imagine Knoxville was the mecca for you. Oh, absolutely. It still is. But, uh, you know, growing up 30 minutes away from it, you know, you're pretty lucky to have the greatest dirt track in the world that close and uh, kind of get spoiled. The fans do too, I think, well, you know, but I'm fortunate enough I travel around the country and the world and, and I see a lot of the tracks. So every time uh, I get uh, a little mad at Knoxville for doing things. I just travel a little bit and realize how great they do things. So, uh, you know, it's we're just fortunate to, you know, to live so close to it. Yeah, now, the, the, other, the, the other track that got uh, just torn down there, the, the fairgrounds there in Des Moines, did you get to do a lot of racing there, or did they run much sprint car stuff? Actually, no, I didn't. I But I won the Danny Memorial there there once, so I have won there. But I think I've only raced there probably twice, maybe three three times maybe, and uh we were able to win that one way. That's that's pretty sad when something like that happens. But you get a fair board in there that doesn't realize the potential of racing, and um, you know they think they can make more money other ways. And once that thing gets tore down, it's pretty hard to get it built back up. Take me back to uh, to eighty to eighty four eighty five. Uh, you said you carts in eighty four, and then uh, got into your first four ten in eighty five. One rookie of the year at Knoxville, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, we had uh, like I said, I uh, we missed opening night. Daryl uh, wasn't ready, and then uh, we came and raced, and then we missed the third night, I think. And uh, Daryl had hurt his back, so I missed a couple of races, and then we had a couple of DNFs, and I still finished ninth in points my first year and got rookie of the year. So that was pre- that was a pretty good year for us. Most improved driver in eighty six. You're on an up. You're, you just keep on climbing up that. That rung, winning some pretty prestigious awards early in your career, and really having some really good point series, uh, finishing fourth, sixth, second, got uh, got really close in '93. Well, my second year in 1986, uh, I actually um, they had a they don't do this very often, but they had a two day show over July 4th, a Friday Saturday deal, and um, that was probably only about my 20 I'd say 20 20th time or so, 22nd time in a sprint car. Um, I led I led the feature all the way to the last corner, last lap, and I about I got sideways in traffic, and Shane Carson got me coming for the checker in mm-hmm. the Beaver Tool 12X, and and then the next night I won, 
and then I won the next two weeks. So I actually, uh, you know, ran second, and I won three weeks in a row. And, uh, you know, coming down to the final night that year, I was basically tied for third place, I think, with Jeff Tuttle and John Stevenson at points. It was kind of, if I remember right, we were, you know, whoever finished ahead of who that night ended up finishing third, fourth, and fifth in points. And I was leading the feature by a straightaway and blew a tire and uh, went to the back and came back up to ninth. We ended up running fifth in points my second year. So that was that was really big. You know, we had a lot of buzz going on. It wasn't any internet back then, but, uh, you know, I had some pretty good offers. And uh, and uh, I went and drove the Beaver Tool 12X the next year that Shane Carson beat me with, actually. It was a, it was a big money car. And, you know, uh, Bob Buehler was a great guy, great guy to drive for. So, for, unfortunately, you know, Daryl really couldn't afford to go racing. And I'd kind of outgrown that thing a little bit. And uh, we just needed to travel more. And I was able to get in that 12X car. and. Uh, and, you know, be able to go to Devil's Bowl and places like that is, you know, able to travel a lot more. How much were you able to travel with Daryl? You know, like I said, Daryl, all we raced was uh, Knoxville and the Jackson Nationals. He's from Algona, Iowa. So, uh, you know, we go up for the Jackson Nationals. It was a really big race back in those days, a week after the 410 Nationals in Knoxville. And so that's really all, the, that's all I did was, um, you know, drive for those, those two years for Daryl. And uh, we just raced Knoxville and Jackson. So, you know, any young guy, I think, especially Knoxville, such a great, track and well-prepared and, you know, well-lit and, uh, you know, these young guys need to get out and get on short tracks, you know, like out in California or anywhere, anywhere they can to, to learn to bump, you know, rub wheels a little bit, do wheelies, do some, you know, get on some inconsistent tracks. Knoxville, like I said, is such a well-prepared track. It's actually kind of easy to drive comparatively to, to tracks when you go to California and there's whoop-de-doos and big old ledges and all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. So a sprint car on those kind of tracks can get pretty wild, but I think everyone needs to run those, especially young guys to kind of kind of get their bearings and learn how to drive a sprint car. I like how you said that earlier about how uh, the Knoxville fans and drivers can get spoiled because it's easy for you to go there for a couple of races and just think, well, this must be what racing's like. Everyone's got a giant 40,000-seat stadium. They've got lights, <laughs> amazing track prep crew, and, and top-notch announcers, and you know, huge everything. And, and then you go to some of these tracks and – it's it's held together with gum and duct tape. Yeah, and fire crew. You know, Knoxville has a great fire crew, and that's <laughs> yeah. something as a dad you I especially look at more than more than I used to when I was just a kid driver. But uh, you know, Knoxville, it's a very difficult place to win. Don't don't get me wrong. Same way back in my dad's day, you got to have you know, there's the best of the best go there, and you got to have serious horsepower, and you got to you got to really have a good night to win. It's a very difficult. I think it's an easy place to drive generally because it's so well maintained. But it's a very difficult place to win at. So, uh, you know, if you win there, you can definitely win anywhere. And if you can dominate there, you, you really got an amazing team. And uh, it's tough to, to compare winning a single race at any other track when you've won at Knoxville. It's, it's kind of like, hey, cool, I won here. Hey, cool, I won there. But, man, I won at Knoxville this year. Well, I think for me, um, you know, and just growing up around racing and reading about it, it, it winning at Williams Grove and, and uh, Eldora. Uh, in fact, I was just watching my first ever Eldora win the other night on video. But, but you know, that meant a lot to me. Those those tracks, I think, compared to Knoxville as far as, you know, stature, historical value as far as winning and what it means. And, uh, uh, you know, so those those tracks, when I when I first won at those, those places, it meant a lot to me. But, uh, yeah, like you say, Knoxville, you know, that's, People come from all over the world to race there. I mean, it's like little Sydney in Knoxville now with all the Australians coming over. But, uh, you know, it just goes to show you, you know, how big it is around the world and what an amazing place it is. But, uh, you know, a lot of these tracks, I grew up going to Eagle and places like that watching. So to get my first win at those places, you know, they meant a lot to me, too. 
And we talked about uh, just a little bit ago, you know, racing with Daryl in that, that 1A car, and now you've moved on to the 12X, and you've started really touring nationally. Are you following a couple of series like the World of Outlaws, or are you just kind of touring around hitting some big points or some big uh, purse-paying nights? No, I still, you know, basically focused on Knoxville as a cornerstone, but then, like I said, we were able to go to, to, uh, to Devil's Bowl and some places like that. And, uh, and actually about uh, halfway through the season in 1987, I got hurt in the 12X, a, a wheel broke, and it was kind of ironic. Uh, Rocky Hodges was driving my dad's car, and he hit me while I was flipping in the feature, and um, you know, it's probably one of my worst worst crashes ever. I didn't break any bones, but I was in the hospital till Wednesday, and uh, had a real back and cut, real back concussion, and everything. So uh, it was a it was a pretty bad deal, and and that kind of I came back to the 12X, but I wasn't quite right yet, and so they moved, they hired uh, Randy Smith to drive. I kind of got fired slash quit. And, uh, you know, then uh, my dad was running a five barrel contractor's car and I was able to get, uh, we had a ton of success there. The rest of 87, I won, uh, made my first day meeting the Knoxville nationals ran 12th. And, uh, we won, it was one of those deals where they rained out and ran Sunday. We won, I want to call it the state's feature, the mystery feature, but, uh, they call it the non-qualifiers feature in the record book, but actually i made the A-man to national. So I definitely wasn't a non-qualifier, but, uh, you know, we won that race at the Nationals, too, and uh, and uh, we won some races run up by Marshalltown, and I started traveling with my father, and he took me out to California and places like that where, where I needed to go bad. I needed to get away from the big half miles and, and start running some short tracks, like I said earlier, and learn to do that. And I'm still not, that's still not really my forte, the little short tracks. I'm not really the one, kind of got to bang wheels and, and tear up equipment, but uh, it was good for me to go out there. My dad really, you know, he had a really good car with that Merrill Contractors 5M and great engines, and uh, it took me traveling a lot, and that, that really helped me a bunch. Who were some of your heroes around that time you were just getting your feet kind of cemented in the sport? Well, my dad, of course, always was. And A.J. Foyt, you know, back in those days, my dream was to be an IndyCar driver. No one really mm-hmm. cared about NASCAR back in those days. And A.J. Foyt was kind of the same type of guy my dad was. And um, those were kind of my idols. But, uh, you know, Roger Rager was always someone that stood out in my mind. I, I was able to spend a lot of time with him. He drove from my dad on and off. And uh, he was a pretty amazing guy. And um, he could he could grab a sprint car and, and bench press it basically pull it up to his waist no problem that was one of the strongest guys ever met back in those days those cars weighed a lot and uh he was a pretty pretty awesome driver but you know to me uh when i was a little boy joe saldana was was always my favorite i got a i got a couple of his autograph cards that keep in my safe (laughs) my wife laughed at me she's got pictures of the family and and wills and things like that and i got a joe saldana autograph card in there so (laughs) signed by joe but you gotta have your priorities but you know growing up he was definitely uh one of my favorites but uh you know, once you start racing, I'm a pretty competitive person. I didn't have any idols. I just wanted to beat everybody. Do you have a tough time separating uh, the guy that you've idolized with the same guy that you're racing next to? Do you do you pull up next to him and think, oh, my God, that's that's Wolfgang or that's Kinzer or that's, that's, uh, that's Saldana? Or can you just – are you able to block that out? Well, you know, starting out, you know, 87 when Dad took me on the, on the road, you know, with the outlaws. Of course, Steve Kinzer was – larger than life and uh and uh that was you know that was a bit intimidating those guys but uh i fit in pretty well i'm pretty good at blocking that that kind of stuff didn't really bother me when i was out on the racetrack i wanted to beat them and uh i wasn't very intimidated by any of them on the track but uh you know just being able to hang out with them in the bars and hear stories and things like that is what i really loved and and uh but you know when it came to being on the track it didn't it didn't bother me and and uh you know i just, I just wanted to beat them yeah Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We're going to finish up the rest of your career. Really started getting your uh, point standings championships at Knoxville, knocking down several of them, even in a row. And then your kids get involved. So we're going to cover more coming up next with the driver of the number 24T, Terry McCarl, as the Legends of the Dirt Series rolls on. We'll be back here on the Front Stretch. 
Hey guys, Dan Taylor with Tailored Computers and Repair, and we all know Christmas is just around the corner, so I've got a couple of ideas for you. If it's a youngster that's looking to stream, maybe do a little bit of gaming, maybe a young adult that's headed to college for the first time, or an older adult that's headed back for continuing education, I have two identical HP ProBook 640 G2 laptops. These are 14-inch screens, so they're not too big, they're going to fit perfect in a backpack, and they're really, really light. They've both been upgraded to the maximum amount of RAM which is 16 gigs and they both come with iCore 3 processors that max out at 2.3 gigahertz. These are awesome laptops. I'm really impressed with the way that they are running after the upgrades that I've done to them and they're available right now for just $450 each. Give me a call or shoot me a text message 402-659-5641. You can also email me at taylorcomputersandrepair.com. Hey, look at that. You're sitting on your couch playing Halo, Madden, or NASCAR while your friends are at Joe's Karting. Each lap is an adrenaline-filled, heart-pumping, white-knuckle experience that you can only get at the Metro's largest indoor karting track. Eco-friendly Honda engines rip you around their professionally designed road course at breakneck speeds. Can you reach the 14-second lap bracket? There's only one way to find out. Put the controller down and get to Joe's Karting, 23rd Avenue in Council Bluffs next to Quaker Steak and Lube. If you love wings, if you love rings, and all kinds of other tempting things, great times, great food, get to Quaker Steak and Lube. Quaker Steak and Lube is the official watering hole of the front stretch and the home of Mav TV, featuring action from the Lucas Oil Late Model series. Great times, great food, get to Quaker Steak and Lube. Located on Mid-America Drive in Council Bluffs. It's checkers or wreckers as we enter turn four on the front stretch. Presented by Joe's Carding in Council Bluffs. Welcome back to the front stretch. Just about ready to wrap this baby up. Rolling into turn number four. About ready to come to the checkered flag. But before we do that, we're going to continue our conversation. The Kaziski Auto Parts Legends of the Dirt Series with T-Mac Terry McCarl. We talked about his early career, winning early and often and uh, touring nationally. The wins really started coming about the 2000s, early 90s, or late 90s, when you started knocking down some of your, uh, the big point standings wins, uh, is what I'm talking about, with the 410s at Knoxville. Well, you know, what happened with me is I, it was the late uh, late 80s there, and I really got to a point where, you know, they're really just, it's kind of the same now. There's not a lot of money around the Midwest as opposed to California and the East Coast. So there's so much more population out there, which is going to be more businesses, more car owners, more money. And it was tough to find a ride around here, and I kind of got kind of stalled. My dad was out of money and, and moved on and was working for other people. And I, I was fortunate enough, I called Jimmy Sills up in uh, late 1989 and uh, asked him if he knew of any any rides out there in California. And he told me about this new team starting up, Country Builders Construction, Weldon Ophill and his family. And it was a big deal for me. I, I It was what I needed. I needed to get out of here, and I needed to race more short tracks, and I needed to be with the team that could afford it. And uh, like, they, like I said, they were new, and I was – about their son's age, I was a little little bit older than their oldest son, so I fit right into their family. And I was lucky that Weldon liked me and hired me, and uh, and I stayed out there for two and a half years or so and ran with them. And then we went on the Outlaw Tour, you know, in 1992, and uh, you know just got to travel all over the country. Kind of slept in my truck a lot and stayed in some pretty crappy hotels. And Lori was <laughs> pregnant with Austin, but you know I had a valuable experience, you know, and learned you know so much being on the road and ran mile tracks and everything. And my dad would come out and help me, you know, every once in a while get us back on the on track. But uh, that was big for me because I got a lot of experience and then came back to the Midwest. And in 1995, Bill McCroskey sponsored me and, and uh, bought me three new West Mars, and we were rocket ships. I had a couple of Maxims, and, and uh, you know, we, 
we just uh, we I'm sure we'd have won the championship that year. I, I set fast time, won the heat, was leading the feature in the feature, and a power steering line broke opening night, and uh, ended up getting into a crash and shattering my left hand. And they almost cut my two uh, little finger, my ring finger off my left hand, and Oof. had to have it all wired together and uh, screwed together and everything. And we still end up running second in points, and uh, but uh, that that hurt me for my first championship. It just seemed like you know I kept running second to Danny Lasowski when I came back in '93. I ran second to him, and in my own car, my black '27 car, Troy Renfro. It was kind of a neat story. Troy Renfro was my mechanic. He, he lived in my house with me, and that's now who my son Austin drives for in the 2KS. And I've got. <laughs> I've got pictures of Troy when Austin was a baby, Troy holding him and stuff. And uh, we had a one-car garage with a dirt floor, and I had to run a drop cord from the house back to the to the, to the shop for him to work at night. And I think I paid him 150 bucks a week. And uh, <laughs> we, we put that thing on the third row of the Knoxville Nationals and ran second in points to Danny Lasowski and Guy Forbrook. So it was a pretty big pretty big deal. You know, open night at Knoxville, I remember I had one right rear tire, one right rear wheel, and one left rear wheel. And I borrowed one, another one from my brother and I borrowed a set of gears and uh, Chuck Merrill from Maxim fronted me a car and let me make payments on it and uh, kind of built a team from there. You know, we went up, you know, from that deal. And uh, again, in 95, McCroskey got on and, and it just my team just kept growing and growing from there every year. Just seemed like we just got a little bit better. And then, you know, I, I think I ran second in points like four years in a row to yeah. Lasowski and then the Her- Herrera that year that I broke my hand. And, and it was real frustrating, you know, but I, I would go to the banquet and I would sit there and, and look at those guys that won. And it just motivated me more and more every year. I'd sit there and go, I want to be that champion. I'm going to win this thing. And, uh, you know, I got into Guy Forbes' car in 1999 and, and won the championship with him. And then that started the ball rolling. You know, we ended up winning it six years in a row. You had to start wondering if the championship would ever come with a, with four seconds in a row and then a third in 98. Yeah, you know, that's what I tell people, these young guys coming up. I'm like, you know, I ran second a bunch of times and third and things like that before I ever was able to uh, to win one. So, you know, don't give up. Keep keep Stay motivated. And like I said, those – those banquets were always good for me because I wanted to be, you know, Danny Vasovsky and I wanted to beat those guys and it just motivated me every year to be better. And Stanton, you had to just kind of sit there and I would assume kind of steam like I should have had it. I can't <laughs> believe it. It's the, it's the fourth year in a row I finished second. You know, what am I doing wrong? Well, when I broke my hand, that one was pretty tough to take because, <laughs> like I said, McCroskey had given me all the right things I needed, new motors, I had new cars, and uh, and we had all the out of the me and it was Troy McC- Renfro was my mechanic again, and we went down to, to Florida, and everybody was down there in Volusia. I won the overall sprint week title, speed week title down at uh, down to Volusia. We were really fast. I was real comfortable with those cars, and the, the, the Westmars ran really, really well. So I feel like we had a bit of advantage, and then, of course, I shattered my hand opening night. But uh, that, one, that one was probably the toughest one to take because I know we should have won that one. But, again, you got uh, that's how life throws stuff at you, and you got to keep digging. And, and if you want it bad enough, you got to keep working hard. Did you ever race uh, full-time with the World of Outlaws, or was it kind of something that you just hit every once in a while? Well, you know, in 92, I did it with the 88 Country Builders car, but, and, you know, I did it on no budget, and, and uh, I guess they were sleeping in a truck. And But it was great. I wouldn't change it. We finished ninth in points. But, uh, you know, in 2005, I went back on the road with them. Uh, with uh, Big Game Tree Stands was my sponsor. I was the team owner, and uh, we were going pretty good. 2005, you know, we had 12 fast times, 12 second fast times. I talked to my old mechanic, Steve Fitzpatrick, who, who helps me now again. If they had this format that they have right now, we'd have ran top five and points easy and, and made a boatload of money. But uh, back then, they inverted six and took five. And I, I was so fast. Those Westmars were so fast. You know, like I said, I had 12 quick times, 12 seconds. I don't know how many times I was third through eighth. You know, in today's format, they start these heats straight up, which I don't like it. But, uh, you know, I definitely would have loved it back then if I was qualifying as good. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, in, in 2006, uh, we had a great shot at winning the title. And, 
I was second in points to Donnie Schatz, uh, May, I can't remember the day, May 23rd, I think. And, uh, uh, I was only like less than, I think less than 50 points out of the point lead. And we had a real strong car. Our motors were good. Steve was great. Had a good crew. Uh, and I had a driveline break over in uh, Sharon, Pennsylvania and, and, and snapped my left leg backwards. My left foot got snapped backwards and I broke my left leg and that took us out, you know, and Tim Schaefer got in the car and almost won a few shows and Dean Jacobs got in the car and, uh, and uh, actually won his only outlaw show at it's it's uh, Lernerville and Sammy drove it a few times and ran really well so we had a really strong team that's that's another one of those really disappointing ones you look back on if I man if I just hadn't got hurt and I you know I come back I come back less than three weeks after I broke my leg and I, I won a local show at Houston's and then I won uh, the next week I won World of Outlaw show at Houston's with the broken leg so we came back strong and and, uh, and uh, it was just disappointing what what could have been maybe but uh Again, it could have been a lot worse, I suppose, but that was probably the strongest team I ever had. And it's fat, you know, we had the whole package with motors and crew and everything. Well, at least you didn't have to do back flips off the wing with those broken legs. Well, you know, I come back at that that, that race at Houston, the Outlaw Show, and I was up in the grandstands, you know, before, and I got a plate and twelve inch and a half screws in my left leg, and it's only been two and a half weeks, I think. And uh, some guy said to me, "So if you win tonight, you're gonna do a wing dance?" And I was like, "Yeah, right. I said, yeah, if I win tonight." <laughs> If I win this Alice run, I'll do a wing dance, and I won the damn thing. And uh, I'm like, well, I'm getting up on top of the wing. I promise this guy. <laughs> so I had my whole crew stand there getting ready to catch me if I slip <laughs> off this thing, break my leg again. Yeah, and then in 2010, uh, a clot of mud come through the lower right panel and busted my right leg in half, both bones straight in half. And uh, that that made the first one not seem like it wasn't that painful. This It was way worse. But uh, I, got compart- I got compartment syndrome. If anyone out there listening knows what that is, it's one that – the bones broke, but it didn't break through my skin. They they don't want it to break the skin because they're afraid of infection. But in reality, I would have been better off if it would have because there's nothing more painful than compartment syndrome. And they gave me every kind of drug you could. It doesn't take the pain away. So it was a pretty bad deal. That one was real bad. And uh, and I, I thought I knew pain until I had that one. That was pretty bad. <laughs> that was from a dirt clod. Yeah, you know, there were some side panels. I had got uh, fired from the big game team. And, and Linton Jeffrey, my friend, was nice enough to loan me his car and They'd come out with these right side panels, like a J and J, if anyone knows. But they're fiberglass; they weren't metal, and it needs to. The right side, especially on a sprint cars, got to be. It's got to be aluminum or some sort of metal because uh, you know we hit the cushion and stuff all the time. And big plot of mud. I I I, was, I set fast time. I, I got through the heat. I'm going to win the feature, and I'm trying to pass Tyler Walker. And and uh, I remember going to turn three and seeing a big clod come off his right rear, and it just came through that lower panel, and literally felt like someone put my leg up on a, on a table and hit it with a sledgehammer, oh. broke both bones straight in half right in the middle. And that was painful. <laughs> I, I think that's something that I'm, I'm starting to grasp this year is it, it seems so deceiving because you think you're racing on dirt. So you think like a powdery, maybe a little bit of a sticky substance. You don't realize how hard that dirt and that surface can get. Well, you know, I tell people all the time and even for us who, who do it all the time and actually at the Knoxville Nationals that this year was that way. And in general, it never is go walk around sometimes after the races, see what that ledge, that cushion's really like. And you know, sometimes you know, I've seen it even at Eagle or, or especially California and even in Knoxville at the Nationals this year. It can be like two feet high and like a you know brick wall or a big curb. And, and it's kind of amazing these cars can take the abuse that they take. But, you know, I always tell people, go run your go run your street car into the curb at five miles an hour and see what it does to your car, let alone at 100 and some miles an hour. And, and uh, that's what makes sprint cars amazing. I think they're all race cars, really. It's uh, it's amazing they put up with what they do. And 
it's what makes it exciting. You talked about you have your two sons that are now involved in racing. Was it much of a conversation for them to get involved, or was it kind of automatic? No, you know, I'm like my dad. I didn't want them to race, but then I'm not. I, you know, I took them go-kart racing a little bit, but again, they didn't get, they were kind of like me. They didn't get a race very much because I was racing, and so I was only able to take them in the wintertime a couple times, and then, you know, when they got to micros and things like that, they really didn't get a race very often, so I, I feel bad about that in a way, but, uh, you know, I had to, if, if dad's career doesn't keep going, we can't eat. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so, uh, I, I tried to take them as much as I could, but I really didn't have the time that most fathers can to put into their son's career. So, and actually it hurts them even now that I can't, that I'm not retired and, and uh, that I'm not helping him. Carson, my youngest, especially has got a ton of talent. He just needs to be able to show people. He needs someone with some, you know, overseeing him. And I try to as much as I can, but he just, he just got a ride today and, uh, he's going to be able to run 50, 60 races this year, I think. So that's going to be huge for him. But yeah. Austin, my oldest son was like the second youngest person to make the Amy in the Knoxville Nationals, and uh, he's now got a great ride with the Casey's General Store team at 2KS with, with Troy and Tammy Renfro. And, and uh, you know, it's just like me back in the day. You got to travel. You got to, no matter what, if you're a golfer or what it is, experience, you can't buy it. You got to get it. And uh, the guy that does it the most is probably going to be the best at it. Talk, talk to me a little bit about your wife. Has she ever mentioned that R word when you were going through some of these injuries? No, in fact, she's the other way. I I, I have. And there's really? times we've been, you know, dead broke and, or, and especially hurt. And, you know, that last time especially was really bad. You know, I'd lost my ride. I hurt my, broke my, tore my bicep tendon out. And then I lost my ride and then I broke my leg in half. I mean, so it was a horrible year and I was kind of in my prime and just come off of 2009. I'd won 19 features and, you know, I won all kinds of stuff and we had a great year. And, uh, and uh, to have that happen the next year, you know, you get depressed and, and uh, you're on the pain pills and whatever. And it, it just sucks. You're sitting here with a broken leg. And, um, you know, I, I, I definitely thought about retiring many times and she wouldn't let me. She said, you're not going to retire this way. You're going to come back. You're going to go back to racing. And then if you decide to retire, you can, but you got to do it under your terms. You can't do it this way. So she's a pretty amazing woman. I'm really lucky to have her. And behind every good man's a good woman. And uh, I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at without her. And, and like I said, I probably would have retired a long time ago. I, I think that's got to be probably one of the more instrumental aspects to this sport is that when you've got a, a good spouse behind you, whether you're a female driver and you got a good husband or you're a male driver and you got a great wife, that can mean the world to when it comes to, to winning points, championships, and series championships. Yeah, you know, it's you got to have the whole package. And, and if you have a, a wife or family that it's totally against what you're doing and not supportive, and I've had some friends, and I'm not going to mention names, that don't have supportive wives like that, and and they still do okay, but I think they would just be so much more successful if they, they had what I had. And, and uh, you know, my mom was always very supportive of my dad. And, you know, especially back in those days, it, it was, those guys seemed a lot tougher, a lot hardcore, you know. But they, it was a tougher sport really back then, I think. You didn't see any little skinny guys with those scrawny arms running sprint cars back in the 60s and 70s, really. <laughs> I don't know if Kyle Larson would have made it back then. You see guys like Judd <laughs> Larson with big old arms. My dad got power steering for the first time and he was so happy it was like the best christmas he ever had i remember you know he got hurt so much and he finally got power steering he was like oh my god this is amazing yeah it's the same thing with the with the late models and even going up to nascars the power steering when it came through and you talked about how sponsors are always an issue you've got a nice list of some great sponsors why don't you run down a couple of them and uh and maybe we can send them some business well i'm you know as a racer you guys know and even on your ad you'll take anyone you can really pretty much actually i have down two sponsors. I had an energy drink that was like the devil, and I said, I can't have it. I can't have the devil on the car. But uh, uh, I'm just lucky I have the snowplow.com. I mean, it's a, you know, you would think snow shovels would be made overseas, you know, offshore somewhere, and, and most of them are. And this, it's not only made in the United States, it's made in, in Iowa. So I'm so proud of them. And 
Jeff and Stacy Moosman, he's he invented this thing and built it all himself. And, and Clary and Iowa, they're just amazing people. And uh, you know, I'm just fortunate to have met him through his good friend Randy Anderson that used to race, got him come to the races, and we met. And I couldn't be more proud to have such a great sponsor like that because it's so easy for me to try to sell it because it is an amazing product. Anyone out there that has them, snowplow.com, you can go there and get one. And uh, best snow pusher. They're a snow pusher. They're not necessarily like a snow shovel. It works really well. And back we're here where we're from, you know, that's a great, great partner to have. And yeah. they've just been great for me. But Country Builders Construction that I drove for back in 1991, 92, they're still – so part of my team out of California. So I go out there in the spring and race with the outlaws. And I go in the fall to the trophy cup and race for the Oldfield family. And, and, uh, you know, they're still a big part of my team. Bosma poultry, Lauren Bosma has been with me since 1995. Actually, he, wow. uh, he's been a big part of my team. He owns my truck and trailer and just a great guy. And is always there for me. So, you know, you build these lasting relationships like that. That's another cool thing about racing, you know, that lasts forever. The Oldfields are like my family. Bosma is like my family and now Jeff and Stacy are. So, uh, you know, we're just lucky to have those guys involved and, Sears World Telephone's come on the last few years, Don Long, and, and uh, you know, it's made it possible for me to come over there to I-80 and those places, come and race those 360 shows. And, and he's a great guy. I wish I'd have got with him about 10 or 15 years ago. I mean, he's just an amazing guy to be to be around. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's uh, Destiny Motorsports and Phil and Vivian. I got all kinds of kinds of great guys that, uh, you know, help me make this thing happen. <laughs> I always tell people, I always tell the fans, and I think they're, they, they're pretty knowledgeable race fans, really support the people who support racing. And, uh, and I think they really do. I think they're really loyal to the names they see on these things. Heck, I got Kalani Fender out of Hawaii that sponsors me and, and, uh, Burnett's rock and landscaping down in, down in, uh, Florida. And, and so I travel all over. I'm lucky, but I've got friends everywhere we go and, uh, got, you know, little sponsors that try to take care of us when we're down in those areas. But, uh, you know, it takes a lot of money to run these. I don't have a lot of sponsorship, but everybody I have is like family to me. And uh, I think we do the best, probably the best with what we have. Uh, and, you know, I try to look as good as I can, look like we have a million bucks, but we definitely don't. But uh, I think my team does uh, the best with what we have better than anybody in the country, really. Talk about 2018. Do you have uh, plans kind of in the works, something solidified, uh, what you're looking at doing? No, I'm, I'm probably looking at the same type of schedule, go down to Florida and run, uh, maybe run with the Outlaws of Lucian over at East Bay at the 360s, and then just kind of go from there. Austin is getting married March 17th, so we're not going to be able to go out to Tulare and, and Stockton out in California uh, like we have every other year in the last few years. So, uh, And then start back up around here. You know, like I said, with Don Long and the Searsville Telephone, we can get more 360 races. i got a Moyle 360 engine, and that thing really runs. We love going to I-80, the Kasiskis, uh They just do. That's it's really became one of my favorite racetracks in the country, and they really learned how I think to to set the track up for sprint cars too. And uh, it's just such a fun track. It's usually up banging the fence or right around the bottom and slide job city everywhere else. I, <laughs> I, I think I, I recommend that track to any sprint car fan to come and watch. I think it puts on one of the best races in the country. And uh, uh, they just it just turned into I mean, my son Austin and Carson. They both love going there. So for for a big track, I think it puts on amazing races. Well, and you, you put on a heck of a battle between you and Cody Ledger at the end of the year uh, in 2017 that was that was probably one of my top five favorite races at, at I-80 Speedway. It's such a tricky track. You know, I was out there leading, and I knew I was kind of having a bit of a problem. got real tight, and uh, so I moved down to the bottom. And then and Cody, I think Cody was like fourth or fifth on that last restart, and heck, he went to the top and smoked everybody's butt. And, yeah. and it actually drove around me, and I was able to get back and slide back in front of him and, and change my lane. But he... Uh, he kind of outsmarted all of us there for a while, and I was lucky I was able to get back by him, but he's been doing a great job, and uh, it's fun. You know, you got jacked over. You got a lot of talent over there, jacked over, and, and Cody and all the guys that, in that area. So I hope they have more and more sprint car races uh, at I-80, but, uh, again, it's one of my favorite tracks. And, you know, Phil Durst and his family have, have supported me over the years and Lincoln Auto Auction, so it's kind of fun to get over there and, 
and be able to see those guys. And, uh, and, you know, um, we're having our cars built out of Eagle chassis now, a silver car out of Eagle. And, um, so it's, it's nice having everything so close. Well, I certainly enjoy seeing you. I know that if I'm ever working in the pits at I-80, the 24 is always on my radar to go and talk to because like we just learned with, with this whole conversation, uh, I ask one word and you just keep going. You're, you're a great <laughs> talker. And, and that's as a, as, a, as a radio host and as a pit reporter, I love those kind of guys. <laughs> All right, or your Ter- fans probably think I talk too much. but No, there's oh, no. no such thing. There's no such thing. Not at all. The more you talk, uh, people just love it because it's not just nonsense. I mean, you, you got a lot of, you got a pretty, wealth, a pretty big wealth of knowledge that, that you can uh, bestow on, on fans and drivers and, and crews of, uh, of all sorts. And our regular listeners get tired of hearing us. Yeah. Well, I like to hear people talk normal instead of just giving the political answer all the time. Some of the fans don't like it when I when I give my uh, – <laughs> I'm not afraid to speak my mind generally, but uh, sometimes I might rub them the wrong way. But if it gets them excited about racing, that's what we like to see, get them to come out and see a show. Whether they boo or cheer, as long as they're saying something. That's what, that's what Lloyd Beckman told my dad once, I think. Well, Terry, we appreciate your time. Best of luck uh, in the offseason with your sanity, and we can't wait to see you at the track of 2018. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to seeing you all over at uh, the Kasiski's awesome track of I-80. <laughs> we'll all see right. you, bud. Thanks. Have a good one. See you later. I want to say a big thank you to Quaker Steak and Lube, the official watering hole of the front stretch, and thank you to all of you for tuning in today. We'll do it again next weekend as the front stretch will roll on here on AM 590, Omaha's ESPN Radio.